We're going to go into our, uh, our scripture today. And our scripture reading comes from Genesis chapter 3. We're going to be going through a good portion of Genesis 3, but right now we're going to read verses 1 through 13. Uh, we're going to be reading in the ESV, and we encourage you, uh, if you have your own Bible or a Bible app, uh, to look up the scripture. It's just a good habit to get in, but uh, even if you don't have access to a Bible, we got you covered. It'll be up here. Uh, so again, it's Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. May the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us. Uh, when we're able to do this live, uh, we kind of alternate the readings, but I'll just be doing the readings for us today. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will surely You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Dang, Adam. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Sorry, I couldn't resist. Just dang, Adam just throws Eve under the bus, right? So, as you can see, uh, you know, from the story that we read, uh, and it probably makes sense that today's message is called Not God. <laughs> and, um, you know, so the, the, the sermon series is called Firm Foundation, where we're trying to find a way to build our, our foundations on, on God, on Christ, uh, uh, that hopefully that is a firmer foundation. We believe it is a firmer foundation than the foundations that we build for ourselves. In this world. Um, And I just want to acknowledge that I think during this time that we're going through, of course, it's very challenging. But sometimes you'll hear people who, they'll say things that kind of like sound nice, and we all kind of like nod our heads and agree. But really, do we we really believe that, that, you know, there are kind of like hidden blessings in this time of COVID? And, uh, you know, I want to tell you something that I heard uh, a pastor say, um, I guess he knows a, a, disease, uh, a, a disease specialist, a, a doctor who uh, specializes in diseases. And, you know, what, what she says during this time is, you know, she tries to remind herself, don't waste COVID. Don't waste COVID. 
So if you're a doctor specializing in infectious diseases, right, it makes sense. Don't waste COVID, right? This is a great opportunity to do some research, you know? Uh, but the pastor was saying it for all of us. Don't waste COVID. You know, it's kind of like along the same lines of that whole, like, hidden blessings thing, you know? And I, I put up this gif of Kevin Hart, you know, just kind of blinking, like, like say what? <laughs> because, I mean, do we really believe that? That, um, you know, COVID is something that there, there's, there's good in it, you know? Um, that in some ways, maybe there's something that, that uh, God can teach us in this. And, and I, I just want to say, um, you know, I acknowledge that, you know, it doesn't mean that this time isn't painful. You know, there are people who are genuinely struggling, you know, and if you are struggling, you know, like we said before, you know, uh, mental health stuff is not great for a lot of people, especially if you had some stuff going on before. You know, there's a lot of economic stuff. It's not great. A lot of people losing their jobs. It's not great. It's difficult. But at the same time, you know, one of the things that, that I, I, you know, try to remind myself of, I, I've, I've said this before in sermons, um, is that a lot of us are very nostalgic for 2019, but do you remember 2019? Do you remember how much we were looking forward to 2020? Because for a lot of people, pardon my French, but 2019 sucked. <laughs> we couldn't wait for it to be over, you know? And actually, one of the things that, that we're going to be talking about, I think it is a characteristic of sin, um, is that, well, we have short memories, but we don't see reality exactly as it is. You know, things just get distorted. We delude ourselves, you know? And this is the thing that I know about myself and about humanity, is that for many of us, we just continue what we're doing, right? Right? I mean, I guess it's like a law of physics or something, right? You just continue doing what you're doing. And a lot of people continue doing what they're doing even when it doesn't work. You ever see somebody like in just a miserable job or a miserable life situation? They just keep going. Have you ever seen someone stuck in an addiction and they know they should stop, but they just keep going? In this country, we have a lot of, you know, problems, you know, that have been coming to light, racial injustice, and a lot of stuff that is not new, Right? I mean, it's as old as slavery, which is old as the, the founding of this country. And so it's not new, right? But oftentimes, we will not change. We will not change the course at all. We won't even stop unless something stops us. And maybe that's what's happening during COVID, is that there's something that is just naturally causing us to pause, right? I say this often that I think that's actually one of, if not the greatest effect of prayer, is prayer is a pause, it's a break from the way we normally think, from the way that we normally conduct life. And this is me showing my hand a little bit, that we like to live life being in charge. We like to live as if we are God. And prayer is a way of interrupting that, right? COVID, I think, maybe not intentional, but it's a way of interrupting the way that we normally live life. So I think there's some lessons for us to learn. I mean, every Sunday worship, right? The idea of Sabbath, of rest, it's an interruption. It's a break for us to kind of, you know, just kind of like, wait, 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 what are we doing, right? And, and so we want to take a moment to, to kind of like, you know, peel back the layers of, of what is going on within us. 
Because if one of the, the great um, uh, problems of humanity is self-deception, that we don't see reality as it is, then we can't even see that. We can't even see that we're deceiving ourselves. More of that is going to come out uh, through this biblical narrative. But let's take a look. So, you know, just in recap, uh, we talked about uh, the goodness of God. Um, oh, and by the way, uh, you know, we talked last week about, you know, how God is good and everything in creation is good. And God created us in his image, you know. And so when we're talking about that, there's something wrong with us. There's something flawed. I think sometimes the counterpoint to this is that we are made in the image of God, which is true. And a lot of, of what we believe, John Wesley believed that kind of the goal of humanity was to, to sort of recreate ourselves in the image of God. We're going to talk about that. You're going to see that in Christ. That's how we do that, right? Uh, but in some ways, you know, we could kind of walk around and be like, yeah, but I'm made in the image of God, you know? I'm made in the image of God. I'm great. You know, this is something where this painting, right? This is like, uh, uh, I think it's called uh, Echo Homme. Uh, look man, <laughs> I think in Latin, but it's a, a, a portrait of Jesus on a fresco. And very famously in 2012, somebody tried to, to uh, restore the fresco. And this is what it looked like. Uh, it's kind of like reminds me of, if you ever seen the show Nailed It, where, where like they have these bakers who create these like incredible cakes and stuff. And then they get amateur bakers who try to recreate it. And it's just hilarious, right? It looks nothing like it, just like this fresco. You know, and so, yeah, you know, you could be made in the image. This is the image of that original fresco of Jesus, you know, but it's not so great. You know, it, it's pretty far inferior. And so, you know, us bragging about being the image of God. I mean, you know, sometimes we, we don't quite hit it the, the way that God does. Right. We, we, we are like God in some ways. But part of the biblical narrative and something we have to understand, if you want to build your foundation on God is you have to understand you are not God. Uh, so what we find very early on is that um, the serpent is crafty. And the serpent starts a dialogue with the man and woman. Uh, you're going to find out we blame the woman a lot, but the man's there. You're, you're going to see it. The man's there. So, you know, don't be too harsh on Eve right? Uh, you see Adam kind of throws her under the bus. I mean, it's just a mess all around, right? No one comes out looking good from this narrative. So uh, the snake says, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the tree, of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. So here we see one of the, the very first kind of ways that we sort of pick away at the authority of God. Did God actually say that? <laughs> Did God actually say you can't eat the, the fruit of this tree? Uh, and, and another mistake, a very common mistake, is Eve misquotes God. Eve actually makes God a lot... Uh, harsher than he really is. He says, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it. God never said that. But isn't that sometimes what we do when we look at the commands of God? We look at these things not as things that are supposed to lead to life. Because by the way, God said, don't eat the fruit of that tree because you'll die. 
right? That was meant for good. But so often we look at the restrictions that God might put on us, the boundaries that are meant to keep us safe. Don't jump in that lava, right? You can't tell me what to do. I'm an American. Like, like don't give coronavirus to other people. I'm sorry, I'm just, right? Like, there's these things that, that we, we, it's meant for our good, but we don't like any restrictions. Why? Because we want to be God. Can't tell me what to do. What is that about? I'm a sovereign being. Nobody can look down on me and give me commands. I give the, right? (laughs) You can get carried away here, but the idea is that we may look at God like some kind of cosmic taskmaster, preventing us from joy, preventing us from goodness. But God's trying to keep you safe. God's trying to keep you alive, right? And, but the serpent, of course, you know, very wily, says, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Remember, what is the one thing we know about the way God created humans? It's the one thing that we are told. God created humans, man and woman, he created them, in his own image. Now, we know some images are better than others, right? Sometimes the image doesn't look exactly like God. But we were already given some godlike qualities, right? Much more so than the other animals and the other parts of creation. We were given so much. And of course, we are not God. The woman knows that. And the serpent uses that. Like, hey, See, what God's trying to do, he's trying to keep you from becoming more like him. In other words, it's not enough. It's not enough. It's not enough for the woman to be made in the image of God. Oh, no, I need to be like God in this way. I need to know what God knows, right? Be able to discern how God discerns. I mean, brothers and sisters, the, the sin of Eve is all of our sin. The sin of Adam and Eve, right? They're they're both at fault. Adam's there, sitting there chilling, not saying anything, right? But don't we want to know? We want to know, right? We want to understand. And a part of understanding is the desire to be like God, right? And here you're going to see, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And, and here it is. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her. Big dummy just being quiet the whole time. And he ate, right? So this, like, like why does the woman eat the, the, the fruit? Why? Well, she blames the snake, of course. She's like, you know, the, the, the serpent deceived me. But look at what it says in Scripture. The woman saw. She looks at the tree. She's like, oh, that tree looks good for food. Hmm. I think those apples are whatever. You know, actually, some people think they were figs and maybe not apples, but just it makes a better picture to have a nice red apple, right? And so, saw that it was a delight to the eyes, right? It delighted her eyes. She's like, I want that. And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she decided. She decided what was good. 
and she took of its fruit and ate. This is, in many ways, the original sin. Us putting ourselves over God, God in his wisdom, saying, yo, there's just some things you don't know and don't understand about the world. I'm trying to keep you safe. Can you trust me? And we say, "Mm, you know, I actually want to make up my own mind. I look at this tree. You tell me it's bad. I look at it. I think it's good. And remember, we're all kind of self-deceived, right? So if we are self-deceived, then how good are we in our judgments of deciding whether or not something is good. Maybe you don't believe me that we're self-deceived, you know? Uh, That's part of the problem, is that if we are self-deceived, you might be self-deceived about being self-deceived, right? So uh, there's this um, show, it was a radio program called uh, Harry, uh, the the Prairie Home Companion. And this, this guy, Garrison Keillor, would always introduce the program by saying, Welcome to Lake Wobegon, where all the women are strong, all the men are good-looking, and all the children are above average. Right? All children can't be above average, right? It's impossible. you know. But that's the way we kind of treat life. There's been all these studies of how self-deceived we are. Um, there was a famous study in 1977 where uh, they, they pulled college professors and asked them, Hey, you see these other professors, how do you rate in comparison to them? And so 94% said they were better than most of their other professors, right? So 94% believed they were above average professor. The math doesn't check up. Again, uh, another study, a third of employees at a software company said they were better than 19 out of 20 other people, right? So they were top 5%. Right? A third of people can't be top 5%, right? Eight out of 10 drivers, if you think it's just college professors and software, you know, software designers, uh, it's not. Eight out of 10 drivers say they are an above average driver. And, and even when they cause an accident from texting, they still say that. They're like, well, you know, I can text because I'm better than most people, you know? Just something happened. I just, that tree jumped out of nowhere, you know? Uh, we are, are all kind of diseased. Deceived. We're all not very good at judging, you know, ourselves even, let alone other things. Another thing that we're not good at is we're not good at predicting how good something's going to be. This is Eve's problem. She looks at the tree. She's like, it's going to be good. It wasn't, right? And, and for most of us, we severely overestimate the amount of pleasure something's going to give us, Right? This is why so many people do so many dumb things for a cheap thrill, but with long-term consequences, right? And the thing is, everything, everything, it's just the nature of life. It's all ephemeral. It's all fleeting. It doesn't last. No pleasure will give you what you want. But this is the way that we are, in some ways, designed, um, that this is just a part of human nature, that we overrate what we can get now, and we underrate the things that endure, right? That's why addiction is such a big problem in this country, right? Because you get the high, but then all of the other consequences, you know, broken families and careers, right? All in the... the, in the name of just getting that thing that you want. And, I mean, you don't even need to be a drug addict to see that, 
right? There are many of us that we're chasing these things and we think they're going to make us feel better, right? Like, how many of us procrastinate? <laughs> you know, you, you, you're going to have a long-term pain from procrastinating and not studying or not getting your project done on time. And brothers and sisters, I, I used to say that I, I, you know, I had a double major. I majored in sociology and procrastination. So I, I get it. I, I'm totally there, you know. Uh, but it, it's just something that, it, it's just kind of insane. You know, we, we can, on some level, see that if I procrastinate or if I choose this thing that will give me immediate gratification, I mean, just look at the foods we eat, right? That there's going to be long-term consequences or there's going to be something that actually makes me unhappy in the long run. And how long do those pleasures actually last? It doesn't stop you from chasing it. Seriously, you can know this. And this is one of the frustrations. It's one of the things we're going to talk about in the future weeks when we talk about understanding sin so we can understand how God can help us to break those things, those cycles. Because me just telling you these things, it's not going to change it. We like to think, again, this is the self-deception. We think if we can understand something, that we can change it. Oh, Pastor Steve, thank you for the information. Now I can change my behavior. It doesn't quite work that way. The problem of sin is that you are trapped. And none of us stop seeking these delusions. So just another example, just just a real quick one about um, how we are deceived about stuff. So, you know, one of the things is that there are things in this life that genuinely give you pleasure. And there are things that give you kind of like mind-blowing pleasure, where you're just like, my life is different now. And you know what that is? It's the first thing. It's the first thing. I remember there's this uh, uh, story in uh, Where the Red Fern Grows. You guys ever read that book? I, a lot of people had to read it like in elementary or middle school. Um, there's a story where the main character, he's a boy, and he goes to a country store, and somebody buys him a strawberry soda. And he drinks a soda for the first time, and it blows his mind, right? He's like, what is this? The fizzy bubbles and the sweetness. And he's just like, this is the greatest thing ever. And I remember reading that when I was like in middle school, and I had many sodas in my lifetime. Never when I drank a Coke was I like, you know, like this kid. Because I've had it many times before. This is the way pleasure goes. The pleasure gets diminished every time you, you, you get it. And we want something novel. The first time you get it, it's this, this revelatory experience. This is the reason why, by the way, so many people are nostalgic. Because you remember the first time you experienced these things. I love retro video games. You know, I love like old school Nintendo. And you know, it brings me so much joy. And I try to get my daughters to play it with me. And when they play it, they just do it to humor dad. Because to them, in their eyes, that game is just a crappy old game, right? Like, seriously, look at the graphics compared to, like, a modern game. Look at the gameplay, right? It's terrible. It's a terrible game. But for me, when I'm playing that game, I'm remembering playing with my buddy who lived across the street, who would come over after school, and we would play games, and we would swap games together. And we would look at the Nintendo Power magazines together. And the joy of owning the first Nintendo right? And playing these games for the first time. Um, It's just something that still brings me a lot of joy to remember that in a way that even the modern games, which are objectively so much better, right? They just don't. We're we're always chasing something that's going to fulfill us. 
But even nostalgia wears off. It all wears off. Why do we chase these things? There's something that we think is going to fill the void. What void? I'm glad you asked, because there's going to be a void. And that is, sorry, I didn't mean to make this a pun. That is unavoidable. Sorry. (laughs) So we see that when they eat of this food, both of their eyes were open, and they knew they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And, and, And so what we see is that they have this knowledge of being naked, but they're still not exactly like God. That knowledge in and of itself actually makes them miserable. Now we have, ladies and gentlemen, for the first time in human history, we have shame. They cover themselves. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God. I know we talk about the Garden of Eden, and it's just easy to imagine this paradise, but you know what made it paradise? It was our relationship with God. That's what made it paradise. That we could just be face-to-face with God. Do you ever feel like God isn't close to you? Do you ever feel like you could see God, experience God? Why why is God so elusive? God so hard to, to reach? This is why. Because of sin. This is not the way it was meant to be. This is not paradise that we're in right now. And so now... Well, we hide ourselves from God. That's actually part of the problem, you know? Uh, so someone gave us a magnet that's hanging on our fridge. That, it's that, that famous picture of Jesus, like, knocking on, on someone's door, and it says, Jesus is coming. Look busy. Sometimes when we think about God being here, you know, I, I remember for me as a kid when somebody told me God is always watching. I think they meant it to be comforting, but I heard it like this, God is always watching. And I was like, oh, shoot, you know? That's not always good news for us anymore. It used to be. Because we lived in harmony, in connection with God. But now we're hiding ourselves. And so the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? Where'd you go? And he said, the the man said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid. Ladies and gentlemen, for the first time, we have fear. Because I was naked. And I hid myself. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? We have commandments. Again, they're meant to be good for us. Right? We we, we don't even like calling it a commandment anymore. (laughs) But it was meant for our good. You know, there's so much of life that is meant to be lived in by being able to obey what God desires for us. I struggle with this just as much as anyone else, but I just want us to understand where this comes from, right? So the, the disobedience, the tendency to disobey, to even chafe at the word command. You know, what I just read it just now, it kind of, kind of ping, pinged for me. Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded? And just like, well, I don't like that word, right? None of us do. Because of sin. And the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Now we have blame. Now we have not only a separation between us and God, but now you're starting to see separation 
between each other. It's, it's your fault. If you want to know why you have such a tendency <laughs> when somebody, you know, gives you helpful, constructive criticism, to be like, yeah, but what about you, right? This is why. <laughs> this is why, right? It's, 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 it's part of sin. You can't take it. And so we've got to deflect the blame. We've got to make someone else the bad guy. We've got to invent villains. It's got to be us versus them. It's the woman's fault. It's the immigrant's fault. It's someone else's fault. It's the bad guy's fault. It's the president's fault. Right? We've we, we got to deflect it on someone else. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So friends, you know, here we see, I mean, it's a mess, right? But there's going to be consequences from this. Um, and, you know, I, I, I want us to see that um, there are consequences, but, you know, in this message, I think it's so easy for us to just kind of pile on the problems. There are going to be solutions. I, I want to assure you, right? One of the things that we find out is that, um, one of the things we find out is that sin comes into the world because of one man, right? This may seem incredibly unfair to us, but I want to promise you that sort of the way God set this up is actually very good. Because when you look at Romans 5, it says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, the free gift is not like the trespass. There's going to be something else. God is going to take that same principle. When we sinned, it was about humanity, right? I said we sinned, but it was Adam. It was Eve. But they're all of us. Their genes get passed on, right? And all of us come from the people who came before. There's none of us that come out and we look like some kind of alien squid. We look like our parents, right? There's none of us that comes out and we have brand new anxieties that no one's ever had before. Maybe brand new stuff because technology is always changing, you know? But our anxieties are nothing new. Our blame is nothing new. Our sin is nothing new. We've inherited that just like we inherit everything, right? And that's what it's saying. So it may seem unfair to you, but this is just how life works. You inherited life, by the way, right? So you got to take the good and the bad. But we're told that Something else we're going to inherit. This is the good news. The free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, through Adam, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Sometimes we call Jesus the second Adam or the final Adam. He's the last man. Because now, He's going to, in many ways, I mean, don't, don't get this too twisted. You know, we're not superheroes or anything, or we're not mutants. But, you know, in some ways, he's restarting humanity. All of us inherited this curse. But through Jesus, we can all inherit grace. If it can be spread from one man, Adam, the final Adam, he's going to spread grace to us in, in this abounding way. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life 
through the one man, Jesus Christ. So we are given this gift. That's what grace is. It's a free gift. There is a blessing that God wants us to receive, and it is righteousness. Righteousness gets a bad rap. Righteousness, we think of like, you know, uh, being like holier than thou, that kind of thing, you know. Uh, But righteousness, it just means rightness. There's a lot of wrongness in the story we just read, isn't there? In this world, there's a lot of wrongness. But this is what God is trying to do through Jesus, to restore us to rightness. Right relationships, right relationships with God, because it's broken. Right relationships with each other, because we blame each other, because we demonize each other, because we hurt each other. And to restore us into the kind of humanity that was always meant for us. When we reach too far, when we decided that we would get to decide what was good and what was bad, when we decided that what God gave us was not good enough for us, there's a new kind of peace, a new kind of contentment that God wants to give to us in this one man, Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, I got to tell you, even though Jesus has already come, even though some of you may believe in Jesus, there's still for some of us the remnants and the stain of sin, isn't there? We still face brokenness. I just want to be honest about that. And for some of us, just like, I mean, Adam and Eve walking around the garden with God in paradise, and it didn't seem to be enough for them. And for some of us, we don't even understand how good the gift is that we have in Jesus. It's not enough for us either. We start looking for something else. Is is church all there is? Is Christianity all there is? Is Jesus all there is? Is the Bible all there is? I want something more. That's why the Da Vinci Code sold so many copies. Oh, there's some secret gospel? We've known about that for, for a long time. And we dismissed that because it was written literally hundreds of years after the original New Testament, you know? So it wasn't new, but our desire for something new sold like millions of copies, right? You know, and by the way, brothers and sisters, when we read this word, when we read all of this stuff, I mean, there's going to be stuff in it that you don't really like. I mean, even just this story, us talking about sin, there's many of us that don't even want to acknowledge the existence of sin. We say, well, you know, humanity, we're all basically good. Really? Is that how we explain the Holocaust? We're all basically good? Is that how we explain the way we treat each other, the way we treat this planet? We're all basically good? Brothers and sisters, I I feel that pain that probably you do of looking at a broken world, right? Even our approach to the Bible is broken. You know, I I know we talked about that whole idea. Did God really say that? Did God really mean that? And even in the way that we read the Bible, you know, just, I'm going to use the word sinful, but I hope you understand. I'm not saying, you know, like, yeah, I, I just mean that the way that we read the Bible is a little bit off too. Because often we have become the judge of what we choose to believe in the Bible. 
of what we choose to emphasize, even for those of us who say we believe that everything in the Bible is true, right? But there might be certain things that we take and we're like, yeah, but I like this one. By the way, we all do it. Everybody does. How do I know this? Because there's certain verses you always see kind of put up and other ones that are ignored, you know? Of course, of course we should do that, you know? But in our sinfulness, in our deceit, in our self-deception, do we often just pick out, pick and choose scripture that just serves us? You know, we, we don't really like reading the accounts of sin. We don't like reading that we are not God. But you've got to ignore a lot of the Bible, and maybe that's why people do. If you want to ignore the fact that we are not God. But coming back to, you know, this problem. So, you know, just even our pain in this world, you know, um, we're told that, uh, so basically the opening that a, a baby is supposed to go through is not big enough, right? Women's pelvises, they're, they're not wide enough. And so childbearing is way more painful for humanity than it is, and, and let's be clear, it's for women. Yeah, I, I, I'm, it's not painful for me, right? Uh, it's for our, our women, our sisters. It's way more painful than for any other species of animal. You should know that. It's a consequence of sin. I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. A lot of people, they take passages in the Bible. Again, if you want to talk about taking things out of context or using them for your own devices, and we'll take passages and say, see, woman, you got to listen to me. Do you see where this came? This came in Genesis 3. This didn't come in Genesis 2, right? Your husband shall rule over you. That's sin. That's not the way it's supposed to be. We're not supposed to dominate one another. There's only one king, and it's Jesus. It is God, amen? Right? A man is not supposed to rule over their wife like a king over their subjects or a master over their slave. That's sin. It infects everything, right? And so... Then we see, uh, and by the way, you know, we, we, we even saw like the animals turn against us, right? The sna- snakes are now nipping at our heels, right? And then to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So now life has become hard, right? It, 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 it ain't easy to bring forth food from the land, right? In some ways, nature has even turned in some ways. This whole world is fallen. Even though we still see the imprint of God, we still see a lot of brokenness and imperfection, don't we? And by the way, it's very interesting to me. You know, did you notice what God says? Some of this, we actually did not believe this was a curse. You might read the Bible and be like, I don't believe you. We know better. We know better. You're going to say this is a curse, right? You're going to say that eating plants of the field is a curse? 
You know, agriculture is the greatest innovation of, uh, of humanity. You know, because of, of agriculture, we can build our civilizations. Some of that is true, but actually, what's very interesting is that, you know, we see this, you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. And, and actually, what a lot of uh, scientists believe now is they think agriculture may have been the worst mistake in the history of the human race. This is Discover, a uh, very reputable uh, source here. Uh, this is an article uh, called The Worst Mistake in the History of the Human Race. And it's kind of hard to see. The, the print is very small, so I'll read it for you. It says, The advent of agriculture was a watershed moment for the human race and may also have been our greatest blunder. Um, mortality dropped very drastically when we went from hunters-gatherers to farmers. And, um, you, you know, they have, like, all kinds of records of that, fossil records and stuff like that. Um, and they think that most of our societal problems come when we move to being an agricultural society. Uh, a lot of the, the different classes were created. There were no classes back in the day when everybody had to just go hunt together and, and get berries, right? But a lot of the social inequality, it came with agriculture. So very interesting. Uh, you know, do with that what you want. But, you know, there's a lot of stuff that became very hard, that it was not the way it was supposed to be. But brothers and sisters, this is the good news, right? We're, we're told the first man, Adam, became a living being. Uh, this is 1 Corinthians 15, by the way. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual, Right? The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. Dust you are, and the dust you will return. You're temporary, right? The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. So in other words, brothers and sisters, we're all born of Adam, right? Adam and Eve. And so we inherit the same problems, the same pains, the same sin, the same foibles, the same defects, all of these things that get passed down, right? But now in Christ, we are starting a new kind of humanity. We, you know, uh, Jesus did not come from the dust, but he came from heaven. So we also then are, if we are born of Christ, We are also of heaven. Just as we have been born the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. This is our desire, to become a new kind of humanity, right? And we get that in Jesus Christ. So brothers and sisters, there's going to be a lot more that we're going to go into. Um, Next week, we're going to do this exploration of sin, um, maybe that doesn't sound fun to you, but there's some insights uh, that I've recently read about how the mind works that really corroborate pretty well with the biblical account of Cain and Abel. It's, it's really fascinating stuff. We'll go into that next week, but there is going to be hope for us, right? I want to assure you, right? God didn't just leave us high and dry, but he, deci- he, he wanted to save us all. As we all fell through one man, We are all saved through Jesus. Amen?
But in many ways, for, for a lot of us, we have to face the reality. We have to stop deceiving ourselves. We cannot live as God on our own. We do not know as much as we know. We do not know more than God. Right? We don't know better than God. There's a deference, there's a humility that is needed when we approach God to say, you know what, maybe I don't know. So much of the way we read the Bible, I think, and I am as guilty of this as anyone else, is from a position of arrogance, or in other words, I think I know better than God. I read the Bible, mm, I wouldn't have phrased it that way. God, why was the first five books so many laws, right? What's with all the senses taking? You know, it's so boring. I wouldn't have put that in there. I think I know better than God. I think being made in the image of God means like, God's here, I'm here. That ain't the truth. We serve a holy God who's much bigger than any of us can imagine. He gave, gave us a great gift to make us like him. But we are not him. Our lives will only work when we are in proper relation with God. The Bible will only be the word of God to you if you are in proper relation to the word of God. Right? And so I'm going to ask the priest to come up, and what I want us to do is just take a moment and maybe let some of this stuff sink in. Um, You know, you may not agree with me. You may not be there yet. That's okay. But maybe, maybe, You've been getting convicted during this message, and you realize, yeah, I do think it's like God is like 1A and I'm 1B, you know? Or if I'm being really honest, I, I, I think I actually know better than God. I think I know how to live my life. Maybe what we've seen through this time is that we don't make very good gods. We don't really know what we want. We try to pursue happiness. It leads to the very antithesis of happiness. You guys can start playing some music in the background when you want. I just think the music helps, right? But let's just take a moment and just maybe, you know, we can even confess that. Maybe this can be your confession today. I am not God. That's a good thing. I can't control this whole world. We try. Oh my gosh, we try. That's why we're so anxious. Because we think everything depends on us. But can we take a moment, brothers and sisters, to abdicate the throne that we have tried to assume. To repent, which means to turn back to God and say, you are God. You be God, I can't be God. God, I'm sorry for the ways that I've tried to wrest this control from you. I'm sorry for the way that I've tried to squeeze out of life what it couldn't give me. Instead of just receiving from you in gladness and in contentment, and just taking it for what it is, a blessing that is nice, but it will never give me the fulfillment that only you can give me, only a life in Christ, only the Holy Spirit can lead to that kind of real soul fulfillment. So brothers and sisters, can we just take a moment to repent? And if you want, to reject your own lordship of your life.
God, I reject the fact that, that I want to be God. I abdicate the throne. Lord, I'm sorry for trying to be God without you, for thinking I knew more than you. God, we are of dust, but thank you for the gift in Jesus that we can be reborn in spirit. We can be become this new kind of human. Friends, if you would, just take a moment. I don't know where you are in your life. I don't know where you are in your homes or in your apartment. But if you can just assume a posture of just receiving. You can put your hands out. Or just, you know, if you're not able to do that, not comfortable doing that, you can just imagine your heart opening, your mind opening, your soul opening. Brothers and sisters, can I just speak this over you? May you receive the Holy Spirit, the Spirit that adopts us as children of God, as co-heirs with Christ, as we reject our Lordship of this world. We've done a pretty lousy job of that, God. So we ask for your forgiveness, God. We repent, we abdicate. And come and rule and reign where you rightfully should be. God, be God of this universe. Be God of our lives. Be God of our communities. Be God of our families. Be God of of this situation that we face, of COVID, of coronavirus, of unemployment of uncertainty, of fear, of anxiety, of mental illness. Be God of it all. Reign where we cannot. We invite you, Holy Spirit. We invite you, Lord Jesus. We invite you, God the Father. Come and take your place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.